In this episode of KFP3 on GP Cool Content, we're going to talk about HIV. Remembering the diagnostic criteria triad for HIV includes fever, severe malaise, and lymphadenopathy. That's acute HIV. There's two serotypes of HIV, one and two. HIV is transmitted in 80% of cases via semen of MSMs and in 30% of overall cases heterosexual contact semen. 3% is due to injecting drug, drug use with direct blood transfer. The remainder is vaginal fluid, breast milk or transplanted organs. The vertical transmission rate of HIV is that 30% of babies are affected at 18 months. So overall the risk factors of contracting HIV include having unprotected sex, particularly uh, MSM, but also heterosexual, having history of STIs, history of IV drug use, or blood transfusions. Now in, t- in terms of calculating the overall risk of any individual contact contracting HIV, basically you want to work out what the HIV seroprevalence is in that population, and then multiply by that by the risk of contracting HIV with that particular interaction. So in MSM, the prevalence is 4 to 12%. If you do IV drugs and your MSM, it's 29%. If your IV drug user and heterosexual, it's 1%. If you're straight heterosexual with no IV drug use, it's 0.0004%. If you're a heterosexual STI clinic attendee, it's 0.5%. If you're a commercial sex worker, it's less than 0.1%. And the overall prevalence in Australia is 0.1%. With each individual contact, receptive anal sex with ejaculation, it's 1 in 70. Receptive anal sex with no ejaculation, 1 in 150. Insertive anal sex and you're not circumcised. It's 1 in 150, but if you are circumcised, it's 1 in 1,000. If you share contaminated IV equipment, it's 1 in 150. Uh, If you're MSM and have non-intact skin exposure, it's 1 in 1,000. If you have receptive vaginal sex, it's 1 in 1,000, and inserted vaginal sex is 1 in 2,500. So just say you are sharing equipment, HIV equipment, with a... Where is it? Sharing HIV equipment, so 1 in 150, and you're with doing that with an MSM. So it's 29% times, well, 29% divided by 150 for each thing. So it's less than 0.1% each time, that's the maximal exposure rate. Yet exposures do obviously happen. Several features of history and exam in the HIV seroconversion are night sweats, malaise, Nausea, photophobia, sore throat, diarrhea, lymphadenopathy, generalized maculoerythematous rash, and thrombocytopenia. The differentials of that at the initial presentation might include EBV, all your torching organisms, so syphilis, toxoplasmosis, rubella, CMV, herpes simplex, gonococcal, any of the HEPs A to E, or influenza. Or the presentation of an AIDS-defining illness like pneumocystis gerevici, TB, lymphoma, or toxoplasmosis of brain. If you see a HIV-indicated disease, you want to consider doing HIV testing 
So that would be any of the AIDS-defining illnesses above, which are pneumocystis durovici, TB lymphoma or toxo of the brain, or any STI, hep B, hep C, malignant lymphoma, head and neck cancer, anal neoplasia grade 2 or above, cervical neoplasia grade 2 or above, recurrent or multidermatomal shingles, oral candida, florid and difficult to treat fungal infections, extensive warts or molluscum, unexplained retinopathy, severe or recalcitrant psoriasis. The investigations initially at HIV would be at seroconversion, you can get a mildly elevated ESR and serum transaminases. Uh, the investigations you want to consider are the ELISA test, which is called the EIA test, which is your fourth generation combined antigen antibody combination test, which is positive two to six weeks after exposure. And if that's positive, you can go on to do a Western blot test. There's also a point-of-care test in remote areas, although that's less sensitive and specific. And for advanced HIV or AIDS, you can use, you look at your CD4 plus T-cell count to determine the uh, measure of severity of the disease. So good health is a CD4 plus T-cell count of over 500. Severe disease is less than 200 and advanced is less than 50. And you can look at viral load to measure the overall serum RNA. So the EIA test is basically a screening test used to detect HIV P24 antigen and HIV antibodies. It's a part of the HIV virus and can be detected before antibodies develop. It's very sensitive, but it's not very specific. If that's positive, you move on to the Western blot test, which is a confirmatory test. This test for the presence of HIV-specific proteins in the blood, which is highly specific, but less sensitive. And if you have an indeterminate HIV Western blot, you want to contact the HIV specialist consider supplementary tests like HIV RNA viral load or repeat the Western blot test in two to four weeks to see if it evolves. The post-exposure prophylaxis, laxis, um, it's basically 28 days of Truvada or Combivir and you want to start that within 72 hours of exposure. It's routinely recommended for receptive anal intercourse with a known HIV positive source, all these with known HIV positive sources, so receptive anal intercourse, contaminating ejecting equipment or insertive anal intercourse. It's not recommended, even if you have a known HIV positive person, for receptive or insertive anal or vaginal intercourse, oral intercourse, or mucous membrane exposure, or non-intact skin exposure. Combination PEP regimes, like we said before, Truvada and Combivir, and if you do a positive result, the components of conveying the HIV positive results are going to your breaking bad news. So give the positive result, listen and respond to patient needs, avoid info overload, discuss immediate implications and treatment options, start antiretrovirals, check immediate plans and supports, arrange other tests, advise safe sex, notify sexual partners, arrange PEP for sexual partners, advise the Red Cross Blood Service and notify the Department of Health. And the overall treatment of HIV is HAART in accordance with latest guidelines and through a sexual health clinic.